Uh, good morning, and uh, here on Fuzzy Logic, we like a bit of growth. We like it in our bank balance. We like it in our superannuation. We like it in our garden, and we like it in our yeast when it's brewing us a nice jug of beer. Now, today we're going to be interviewing a person named Michael Bagelis, and he's from an organisation called Sustainable Population Australia. Now, they have some issues with the concept of growth. Welcome to uh, Michael Bayliss. And joining us in the studio is Tom Street, who's uh, first time on Fuzzy Logic. Morning, Tom. Now, Michael, sustainable population, who are they and what are their objectives? Uh, Thank you for having me on, Rod. Sustainable Population Australia have been around in various guises since um, the late 80s and I I guess in many ways we are focused on the issue of population in Australia and more broadly and I guess that is because um, a lot of environmental groups um, don't have population as their priority message or um, their they, they see it as too controversial an issue. So the role of SPA is to make population a very public issue and hopefully break some of the taboos. What's the story at the moment with Australia's and the world population? Where are we sitting right now? So in terms of the world population context, um, the world's population is increasing by by about 80 million per year. Um, every time the UN makes a projection on population, it keeps going up. So we were supposed to peak at around 9 billion um, by about 2100. And since a couple of years ago, um, they're projecting over 11 billion. <laughs> every time they make a projection, it keeps going up. So, um, you know, well, population is an issue um, and we're expecting another you know at least three billion people by the end of this century in Australia's context uh, we're growing at 400,000 people per year and that is uh, broadly the size of a new Canberra every year so if we think of all the suburbs in Canberra um, and uh, the infrastructure costs of a new tram line. Um, that's what Australia is doing every year with a population that is spread mainly across the uh, capital cities. What's the main source of that population growth? 60% is due to net migration. Um, of that, the vast majority is economic or skilled migration and a uh, very small percentage of that is uh, refugee migration or the humanitarian program. And so SPA or sustainable population, uh, is it anti-immigrant? It's an interesting question. It's a question we've got asked a lot during our existence, almost on a persistent basis. Um, I'd like to see that there was a positive out of that that um, and I think what that is is SPA has done a lot of soul searching you know if you're um, accused of being racist all the time <laughs> you have to question um, 
And so I think as a result of that, uh, we are very conscious that our argument is numbers-based and has nothing to do um, with cultural identity. Or um, So we're strongly numbers-focused. Well, what do you do when you find yourself allied or perhaps a better word is sympathetic with the views of someone like Pauline Hanson who has been making comments about population? Well, I, I think my argument is that, you know, no one's entirely good or evil or has all the answers or um, doesn't have any answers at all and um, people are complex and issues are nuanced and so, for example, when Pauline Hanson uh, tried unsuccessfully to have a bill that, you know, Australia's population is a national debate, um, well... You know, we uh, agree with that in principle. We probably would definitely not agree with her motivations um, behind that, which is probably due to the fact that, um, um, you know, her outlook is perhaps a nostalgic view on what Australia was and isn't anymore, particularly in terms of, um, you know, cultural uh, makeup, whereas um, Spa is pretty much focused on long-term survival, not only for humans, but all the other myriad of species that we're sharing the continent and the planet with. Um, and that's the, you know, diversity that we're focused on, the diversity of um, species that we're losing every day. Well, uh, Australia is a vast country, and I was, as I was saying during my opening remarks, that uh, it's a huge place. The, the size of this country is absolutely staggering and having just driven across it, I just kind of get a sense of it. Like at one level, you can know the numbers, you can see how many kilometres from, say, Sydney to Perth, which is roughly the same as London to Moscow. Uh, we've got plenty of space here, don't we? Well, when you're driving across the interior of Australia, you would have noticed that the soil and the geography is slightly different from that from London to Moscow, whereas London to Moscow uh, is green fields and fertile soil. Uh, 80% of Australia is arid or semi-arid. In fact, only about 6.5% is arable land and the majority of the country you would have driven through would have been, uh, you, you know, farmed at all. It would have been beef cattle stations. There's a reason for that. It's because the land is so marginal that extensive agriculture, such as beef cattle stations, is the most we can uh, manage out of the land. I remember being um, in a place called Craddock in South Australia, and I went to the pub there and I asked why don't you build another house? And they said, well, we can't because we need every little square inch of land for our sheep farming. Really? That, that is true. So they couldn't build another house because their land is that marginal. And I know the Craddock pub, I've stayed there. It's uh, a little stone building in the middle of a paddock and I think there's one or two other buildings there. A vast, vast area. Um, so how would Population Australia... Um, seek to reduce the population in Australia through reducing immigration? What's the, the main thrust of what you're looking for? Yeah, ultimately um, our position is that if we did nothing to change the 
you know, natural fertility rate and um, the humanitarian program was as it is now or even higher than it is now, um, we'd have a broadly stable population over the long term. So um, I guess, you know, what we have exception is, is population policies that are politically and socially engineered by the lobbying power of big business um, in order to boost GDP short term. Um, and so that is largely done through the skilled and economic migration programs. So um, we seek to reduce economic migration and okay. where there is migration focus on um, the humanitarian programs instead. Right. And what level would you reduce it to? Um, so the, the number that's been floating around and um, the number that uh, Kelvin Thompson, a former Labor MP, um, proposed is uh, reducing it from around 250,000 per annum to 70,000. Um, which is a which is a historical average. Okay, so that would still mean population growth, but much reduced. Right? Yeah, so you can still have immigration and have a broadly stable population. Oh, that, that's to, that's aiming to keep the population stable. It's to keep it stable to make up for like a birth rate that's below replacement in Australia. Exactly. Okay. So um, you can have a. Migration program of you know under a hundred thousand people, okay. and because you know people are leaving the country either physically or or leaving the physical you know plane, um, that you can definitely have um, some degree of migration, right. and so you know where there is this fear that we're going to lose multiculturalism and diversity, and that's just not going to happen. Well, we might uh, break to a quick song break here on Fuzzy Logic. And our guest today is Michael Bayliss from Sustainable Population with myself, Rod, and Tom. And a bit of music, if the technology gods smile upon us. We have a song chosen by you in a box here on Fuzzy Logic.
A small white box in Chatelaine With other boxes, radio players From a box and watch in A tall white box, I travel up A small great box I'll be a box in Space compartment box I stare at a Out of box and excess full of little boxes Lunchtime going back down the box A lunch today is been to a box Tea tonight in front of box My mind's not here, my mind is slow I'm Dr. Carl Kulinski. Now, you might know me from TV shows like Quantum, Sunrise, Fleet Geeks, radio shows like Triple J, Up All Night on the BBC, books like Science is Golden, Never Mind the Bullocks, Dinosaurs Aren't Dead, and, of course, I recommend that you get your science from me, but when you can't, or in addition, tune into the fabulous Fuzzy Logic Science Show on Community Radio 2XX 98.3 FM, Sundays, 11.30. Remember, the universe depends on it. Uh, thank you, Dr. Carl. Yes, the universe does depend upon it. And of course, you are listening to the Fuzzy Logic Science Show with me, Rod, and our guests, Michael Bayliss from Sustainable Population Australia and Tom Street, who joins us for the first time on Fuzzy Logic today. Now, that uh, song that we just played there, Michael, you chose that, and that was called In a Box. Uh, why did you choose that one? Um, partly because that's the band I'm in and um, I'm a little bit egotistical, so I want my music out there, so I, I, oh, <laughs> that comes at a disclosure. Oh, you're as well. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> um, so, you know, I'm 
try to put my fingers in many pies, um, that being one of them. Um, so, you know, when I wrote the lyrics for that, that was um, inspired by uh, the perils of high-rise living um, and the increased compartmentalisation of life where everything seems to come in a box these days. So... Oh, well, okay. Well, we shall have to introduce you to uh, a friend of Fuzzy, uh, Madeline Parker, who is a really good group called Peach Lane. She does some fantastic stuff. Uh, Now, population. And uh, as we were saying before the break, our population levels, did you say it was 60% from immigration? That's correct, yes. Right, okay. And as Tom, you pointed out, we are not breeding amongst ourselves enough to, uh, to, to sustain our population or to keep our population at natural levels. Don't we need more people for a bigger tax base? Don't we have an ageing population? Oh, the ageing population, it's such a scare, isn't it? But it's been uh, debunked so many times. Um, if you want an e- economist argument, just uh, Sleeve Van Onselen, uh, unconventional economist, or Dr Cameron Murray. Um, but, you know, with the population growth we have, road congestion is $19 billion per year and $40 billion per year in infrastructure costs. So, you know, if um, ageing a population, it better be pretty expensive <laughs> if it's worth those costs. Can you just run those numbers by me again? So road congestion and crowded uh, public transport costs society in dollar terms $19 billion in 2018. One nine $19 Yep. Dollars per year. Per year. Per year. Per year. Um, that will go up to thirty billion <laughs> by two thousand thirty billion by two thousand and thirty at current rates of growth, um, and just the infrastructure costs uh, cost us uh, forty billion per year. Now, isn't a, an older person more expensive than a younger person? Only if you look at the GDP model, which doesn't take into account the fact that retirees contribute in so many ways to society. For example, uh, unpaid child caring duties whilst both parents are off to work trying to um, save up the money to pay off the mortgage, which is one of the consequences of population growth under a neoliberal system. You know, houses cost a lot more. Um, and also that... Um, you know, retirees are predominantly uh, volunteers and the volunteering um, sector contributes society billions. What, in what also about some of the costs of a baby and a young person going through school and university and so on? Is that expensive? That is very expensive. Um, that we, we are falling behind in the cost of... Uh, building for primary schools, high schools and um, tertiary institutions. And if you think about it, you know, people after they've retired um, only really need intensive support from society in the last few years of their lives, on average, Um, whereas for people under 18 years, um, you know, they require a huge investment from society uh, until they reach adulthood and even beyond, you know, either, um, you know, every child will cost 
half a million dollars on average over the lifetime. Half half a million. Half a million. Yeah, yeah. For one child. For one child. Yeah. Oh. Uh, either through the parents' pockets or through you know the 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 tax in schools and um, daycare. Okay, well, I got a question coming from a slightly different angle. Um, so after World War Two, Australia started a really deliberate policy of increasing the population here. A lot of people saying because that that's because of a, a feeling of vulnerability after our near invasion by the Japanese. Um, do you think that we sh- should be worried about our really small population in p- comparison with our neighbours in Asia on national security grounds? There was, uh, I, I remember interviewing a scientist, Ian Lowe, on this, and his response was that taking that perspective is a little bit of an archaic approach. It was, you know, in World War One, um, your population size decided the outcome of a war because it depends on how many expendable people you had jumping over trenches and, uh, and getting shot. But these days, it's not on the amount of people that you have, it's um, the amount of fatal technology you have. So, you know, you don't need billions of people to press the red button to launch a a nuclear missile. You need uh, technology and, um, um, you know, economic investment for that. So on that point, what do you see will happen in global politics, in regional politics, as population starts to climb? It's very hard to know. What I do know is um, I think about, you know, 250 million people worldwide living in cities will uh, have water stress um, by... 2050. I, th- I, I believe those were the stats that I that I saw, and that was a, a, a UN projection. Um, so I I, I think um, how, how will the world respond to that? I, I'm actually not not sure. It's a very very uncertain times. Well, as uh, as environments become stressed, and as food production is under pressure. Uh, then do you think we will see economic refugees, environment refugees, uh, water walls, that kind of stuff? Are you, uh, how do you feel about that kind of stuff? Are you optimistic that uh, we're going to cope, the world is going to cope with that sort of threat? I remember being asked about all this on the Earth overshoot day by the ABC and they asked me while well, I'm so doom and gloom and I said I'm a realist um, you, you know I, I am quite pessimistic in how things will pan out um, I, I don't think that is an excuse to be apathetic and do nothing about it there are things we can do all the time um, to be proactive and um, you know be on damage control Look, I think it's so easy to to say that um, when the when things get bad overseas, that people will need to move, and I think you we will see a lot more climate refugees. But there are so many people going to be left behind in their uh, home countries who don't have the means to access 
you know, the resources and fossil fuels to move from one country to another. So I think ultimately um, providing mutual aid overseas um, to help people stabilise economies to become more independent and part of that is empowering women and providing access to um, family planning and health services which and when that's provided fertility rate always goes down because once women are empowered and have the means in which to decide how many children they have well I'm I'm looking at a website which uh, our listener might like to have a look at as well which is quite a daunting website it's called worldometers.info and as I'm watching the numbers flicking over, there's current world population 7,725,000,000 approximately. And uh, I want to check on that at the end of the show and see the difference. But from memory, it's around about over the course of this program, one hour, world population will increase a net 12,000 people. That's one single hour. <laughs> How does that? Uh, is, do you find that a daunting number, Tom? What, what does that sort of number mean to you? Uh, yeah, I, I think the population of the planet is is an issue. Yeah, I, I can see where Mike was coming from. And um, I, before before the before the show, um, you were talking about what um, sustainable population Australia's policy was in terms of overseas reducing. Um, overseas population so you and your your main um, thing that you're advocating for is for the Australian government to provide um, to help to help women gain access um, to birth control um, as an important part of our national f- foreign aid budget is that correct broadly yes yeah. yes mm. okay and so um, I guess that one one um, and do you think that would be an effective way to um, contribute to controlling the population internationally? You know, there's a recent book called Drawdown, um, and the editor, Paul Hawken, came to Melbourne Sustainable Living Festival, and he told a packed audience that combines the empowerment of women um, and access to non-coercive family planning through mm-hmm. through mutual aid combined was the number one thing we can do to address climate change and CO2 emissions. Um, and, you know, when you look at the stats, um, I, I suppose particularly for um, more industrialised countries, uh, having one less child is one of the most effective ways we can do to um, reduce our emissions when you compare it to dietary changes, to recycling, to any of the other personal changes. That's the biggest personal change we can do. So, you know, if if, fuzzy logic is about (laughs) science and stats in in, in part, so um, the scientists generally tell us that um, having fewer children is much better for the environment than having more 
right. making lots of personal sacrifices. Because one less kid means one whole less lifetime of consumption oh. and all of their potential children that they may have, I guess. Yeah. It's one less human being that has to juggle <laughs> um, personal greed with, you know, mm-hmm. making sacrifices and all the choices that we make on a daily basis. Um, and as we know, none of us are angels. Um, I, I flew to Perth earlier this, this year. I, um, I um, thrashed my right. back and paid my penances. So if you hadn't been born, then we wouldn't have to be worrying about those flights and the, the hot water you're using. And yeah, if yeah. everyone consumed like me, would be underwater by now. I think that's now. a good yeah. point you make, Michael, because uh, it's always good. Population is somebody else. Traffic is the other car. A crowd is not me, and the, and I'm never a tourist. And uh, our guest today on Fuzzy Logic, Michael Bayless from Sustainable Population Australia, and Tom, we might uh, break to another track. This one's called "If the Gods Smile Upon Us." A deer caught in the headlights. Uh, no, I might get an explanation from you after we come back from this song. Michael, why you've chosen this one for us here on Fuzzy Logic. And it lights the neon lights beyond the sea Under the trees A secret garden We have to go a little further That they'll never find us here Can you hear the chainsaws near? A deer caught in the headlights. 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 Wanna holler, boom, don't draw me down a pallet Boring you holes in my world It goes through my holes to your ears And I'm losing it, losing, I'm losing
lights, my dear. Caught in the headlights, my dear. She's caught in the headlights, my dear. She's caught in the headlights, my dear. And a bit of music to liven your day here on Fuzzy Logic with our guest Michael Bayliss from Sustainable Population. Now, Michael, you chose that song and it's called A Deer Caught in the Headlights. What was it about that song that uh, you like? Well, that was about cheerful subject matter, <laughs> about the natural world just being eaten alive on all sides by so-called civilization and um and the growth economy so it's you know under neoliberalism nothing's sacred in the natural world i mean if 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 something needs to grow in perpetuity on a finite planet well it has to gobble up you mean everything everything inside a resource to be exploited uh why can't we just recycle why can't we just recycle? Oh, we funny it was that easy. <laughs> um, well, Australia, for whatever reason, and it still blows my mind, uh, we can't recycle. We just, um, it, you know, recycling actually takes some consideration of what can go in the yellow bin versus what can go in the green and the, the little rubbish bin. And um, we often get it wrong. And and we try and be dealing with our recycling by sending it overseas to to China or Indonesia, and um, they're getting really sick of the way we're recycling, and so they're sending it back. And so we're keeping our recycling in these huge warehouses, and we don't have a domestic system of dealing with much of our recycling, and these are all starting to become safety and fire hazards. This is, uh, I, I think we're living in what I call the dud economy. That That's dig, use, dig, dig it up, use it, dig a hole and bury it. Uh, what about the circular economy, so-called? And the, the expression I think that puts it really well is from the Rocky Mountains Institute, uh, not the term cradle to grave, but cradle to cradle. Uh, can we just switch to a circular economy? We could, but um, the current political and social system we have, neoliberalism, is very poorly equipped to to deal with that. Um, you know, GDP, if an oil ship burns up on the way to delivering oil to the port... That's counted as uh, GDP. Um, recycling and making bush carpentry at home out of um, recycled milk crates is not counted towards the GDP. And so our priorities in this current system are distorted, which is why I believe we, we struggled to um, transition systematically to a, a system that would allow a form of a circular economy. Now, uh, 
the uh, the Club of Rome that, uh, was formed in 1968 and did a whole bunch of predictions about the, how the world was going to be running out of resources, iron ore <coughs> and um, coal maybe even, uh, but uh, oil is a big one and peak oil seems to have been deferred for the moment. Uh, aren't we... Well, we haven't run out of resources yet and those predictions were... What happened to them? It depends on uh, your perspective. So uh, if you're a human, <laughs> we managed to buy ourselves some time, um, in my opinion, via the Green Revolution that happened around the same time in the late 60s. If you ask, um, well, you can't ask many of the other species because, um, you know, we're losing species by the rate of uh, a second. So um, in, in terms of the perspective of many non-human animals, uh, the disaster has played out. Uh, so in, in my opinion, we're buying time for our own species at the expense of every single other species on the planet. How much time do you think we can buy? Do you think we can continue increasing the population and growing the economy indefinitely? Or what do you think is the ultimate outcome of the trajectory we're on? Um, I don't give predictions. I remember there was um, a rogue economist in Canada who was predicting financial collapse in 2014, which didn't happens so i think it's unhelpful to put end dates but i think most of the indicators are pointing towards um uh civilization as we know it is is waning um and even the mainstream press is predicting that not much of it future in terms of the capitalist society that we know it will persist much beyond 2050. So what do you mean by that? What, what will we see after that point? Um, again, it, it, it's so hard to know, but um, it will be a world in which oil and coal and fossil fuels are scarce. Um, even if we did transition to a renewables economy, the return um, per investment for so so for example, in the days when we had you know the shallow oil wells, you'd, for every unit of fossil fuels mm. needed to make it, you'd get about thirty units in return. And mm. with renewables, it's more like one to seven. But, but we're seeing huge advances in renewables in in nuclear technology. True, true, but there are also um, some scientists are saying that we just don't have the time or even the minerals under the ground because a lot of, you know, um, solar panels require precious minerals to make and to, to provide energy at the scale that we are now. Mm. Um, using renewables is, is unfeasible and so I think regardless of what will happen, we're going to see a slowdown um, in, in our capacity to move energy around and to generate energy. Um, and so with that, you know, there'll be water scarcity, food scarcity. Um, and if 
civilization will persist, um, in my opinion, my own prediction, it will have to be through localised communities mm. um, using permaculture and recycling and yes, closed I, loop I, systems. Yes, I remember asking a workmate about population growth a few years ago and he said, oh, technology will save us. And you mentioned renewables, Michael, and uh, Fuzzy Logic has a companion column that appears each week. Uh, it used to be Fairfax, and now it's Australian Community Media, but in the Canberra Times and other papers. And I got a expert to answer the question, what about lithium recycling? And, of course, lithium is a huge part of the renewable energy revolution. And it came as a great shock to me. Lithium is not yet recycled in Australia so when you put your rechargeable batteries in the bin in the recycling bin which few of us do uh, they recover some of the metals like cadmium and so on but not yet lithium now I have an interview lined up with uh, I can't remember his name but uh, he's from Western Australia and I'll be asking him about lithium and recycling and Australia actually has very large lithium reserves now, before the break, we were talking about recycling and technology and you think technology is not enough? Do you, do you think we need more than just technology to help us? Michael, what, what else do we need apart from that? Well, there's only so much technology can do if we're single-minded about growing infinitely on a finite planet. I mean, that's inherently unscientific. Um, and so you can have all the techno-fixes that you like, but Earth wants to be a diverse, flourishing ecosystem with a diversity of species. Um, and I think you can have all the technology you like, but if it's just one species living in, you know, monospecies settlements. Um, well, what's, what's another species? I mean, the, the what's-the-name funny parrot that lives in some remote part of Victoria. What does that matter if that goes? Or some little lizard, legless lizard maybe, or a fungus? Who cares about fungus? Why, why would we care about any of those things? Who cares about fungus? Because the more science <laughs> discovers about... Uh, individual species we go oh good lord how uh, um, integral they are because the roots of plants need microorganisms and microfungi in order to um, soak up the nutrients from the soil and even indeed to communicate with one another um, you know about 20 years ago bees were seen as these annoying things that sting you and um, now they're uh, called the most important species in the world which we're rapidly losing so I think it's um, you can't just say oh it's just another lizard it's just another bird I think you know we're constantly being surprised at how these innocuous species <laughs> um, and how vitally important they are uh, yes how, how they're part of a, 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 an ecosystem let's let's bring this down to a more personal level for our listener because population is is it's a little bit abstract in one sense it's 
You can think of it as being just a number on a spreadsheet or something you read in the newspaper. Uh, remind me again what Australia's population growth is, say, for this year or last year. Over 400,000. So 400,000. Mm. Okay, so if I'm living in my nice little suburban dwelling and I go out in the front yard, the sun is shining, I've got my grass is growing, well, can I see the effects of population growth? Well, if you go up to the top of Mount Ainsley and look at all of Canberra, that's the growth which we have to fit in to the coastal margins of Australia every single year. Um, so it's pretty incredible. The population of Canberra in one year. Mm, in one year. Mm. Well, what does it mean for the livability of a city? Uh, oh, well, if you look at some world cities, Jakarta, they're looking at um, uh, moving the capital of Indonesia away from Jakarta because Jakarta's sinking. Um, partly due to sea level rises and um, partly due to the fact that it's sinking under the sinking under its own weight when yeah, the weight, have the weight to, of the city is actually causing it to subside that and the fact that many people have to drill uh, for, for water underground yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so you know Jakarta's a city of 30 million um, they're predicting Melbourne might go up to 12.8 million uh, uh, in the not-too-distant future. Sorry, just run that number. Uh, Melbourne with a population of, of how many? Almost 13 million. Nearly 13 million. Mm, perhaps by 2060. Um, and Melbourne, we're already r relying on desalinisation plants uh, in order to provide our water so you know I always go what's a sign when you're exceeding the carrying capacity of your local e ecosystem it's when it can't provide you water naturally anymore and so you're relying on techno fixes um, and in terms of you know borrowing water from the sea that requires fossil fuels and you know fossil fuels run out that's 13 million people who won't have ready access to water now, I heard some terrifying statistics of population growth in Papua New Guinea recently. Do you, do you recall that? I don't recall that, but what I do recall is at a sustainable population Australia, AGM, next year there's a delegate from Kiribati Island and also um, uh, an expert from, uh, in Papua New Guinea who was saying, you know, there's a population explosion happening in both countries in the context of rising sea level rises and what those countries desperately needed was, um, you know, foreign aid to make family planning uh, more available. Well, what's happening with family planning or, or with Australia's foreign aid? It keeps going down um, almost on a daily basis. I mean... Um, you know, we're spending so much money um, building the infrastructure for our population growth and yet our foreign aid, particularly uh, around family planning, keeps going down with every budget. So we're almost doing the polar opposite of what we should be doing. And these countries, of course, are right on our doorstep, aren't they? Do you think this is going to lead to environment refugees coming here? 
Yeah, well, if you ask Michael McCormack, um, apparently they're just going to end up picking our fruit, which <laughs> that was his quote, like, um, oh, it doesn't matter if um, the sea levels rises because they can all come to... <laughs> To Australia and, and work in our um, fruit farms. Oh, and, so um, cheap, cheap labour. That's that was a, a very cynical outlook, in my opinion. Okay, well, it's been a, a great pleasure to talk to you today, today Michael Michael Bayless, uh, on a very daunting and a very big topic from Sustainable Population Australia. And Tom, thank you. Nice to have you on Fuzzy Logic. Oh, thank you. Now, uh, as I mentioned, we have a companion column that appears each day, each Sunday, in the Canberra Times. And the one I wrote had a bit of fun today because you can tell that I was walking along beaches watching waves. And the question was, where does water in a wave come from? And yes, I answer the question, but also mull over the beautiful thing that a wave is, the lovely rolling pattern of the great lumps of water coming towards you and the spray flying everywhere. There's something really mesmerising about the rhythmic quality of wave, like flickering flames or flames in a fireplace or water running down a stream. We're going to take a break now. In fact, on to the next show here on 2XX. Time to go. Catch you later.